I'm David Young, and I would like to welcome you to the very first episode of my new podcast, Advantage. In each episode, we'll talk shop about a variety of topics that include education, leadership, business, entrepreneurship, and many others. Now, I'm an educator at heart, so no matter what topic we explore, there's a good chance that we're going to eventually get around to talking about connections to education. Today's topic is centered on both education and educational leadership. We're going to explore the phrase, what's best for kids, or doing what's best for kids. Now, you can talk to any educator and mention the phrase, what's best for kids, and they're going to immediately nod in agreement. If you ask them about it, they will wholeheartedly agree that what's best for kids is a mantra that drives them. In every decision, every situation, we as educators are tasked with doing what's best for the kids. It simply encompasses the heart of those called to work in education. But is it really that easy? We certainly want to do it, or at least we want to want to do it. But if we're being really honest with ourselves, do we always want to, like really in every situation? And because of this, do we actually carry through with this as the key mindset that drives the way we operate? School and district leaders are tasked with not only living by this mantra, but ensuring that those who work for them do the same. It's a tough task. It's a complex idea but it is one that we take very seriously. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Amanda Ellis. Dr. Ellis is the vice president in charge of K-12 policies and programs at the Kentucky Council for Post-Secondary Education. She has a celebrated career in education, holding many important posts. But back in the beginning, she was the principal of my school when I was a teacher. We've known each other for a long time and have worked with each other in many different roles throughout our careers. Dr. Ellis is one of the best administrators with whom I've ever worked and one of the best examples I've known when it comes to doing what's best for kids in every situation. So sit back and enjoy as we explore what it means to be an educational leader who does what's best for the kids. So Dr. Amanda Ellis, uh, I want to welcome you to our first podcast. Thank you so much for being willing to join us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. So as I mentioned, we go way back. And so I know a lot yeah. about uh, your history and our families know each other. Uh, but, for our, but for our listeners, uh, do you mind to tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and whatever you'd like to share? Absolutely. David, it's a pleasure to be here and you are hitting on my my why. It's exactly what you said, like every other educator. Um, this is my 25th year in education, which seems impossible. Um, <laughs> but uh, I started um, as a, a middle school teacher um, and thought for sure I would be an elementary teacher for life. And then I went into being a curriculum coach at the elementary level and then went on to be an elementary principal, which has honestly been the highlight of my career, hardest days of my life, but the most rewarding. And from there, I decided that it was time to expand again to, to uh, focus on more kids. And that's in our Commonwealth. And I became the Associate Commissioner and Deputy Commissioner um, of Teaching and Learning at the Department of Education. And then during COVID, I uh, decided to expand yet again to connect dots. Uh, for students and um, eventually became the vice president of K-12 policies and programs. And so I've really been from 
uh, your early primary all the way uh, to the point of transition to post-secondary. So uh, my, my career has taken me many places that I would say, literally that I said I would never ever do or would even um, be considered qualified to do. So it's been a true blessing on this journey and and have several years to go. Well, it's very good. And, and of course, I'll, I'll add in that uh, I mentioned that we first knew each other when you were my principal, but we actually knew each other a little bit before that. We were in the same we district did. and you were a curriculum resource uh, or an instructional coach That's right. uh, with my wife, Holly. That and uh, you guys got to know each other well through that. And uh, so anyway, well, so uh, before we get into what's best for kids, uh, you know, you went from being a teacher like I did uh, to yes. being an administrator or a coach and then an administrator and then eventually went on into uh, some policy work and some Good. broader brushstroke uh, type work. What what made you want to uh, continue to grow in that way? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I knew when uh, I uh, received my principal certification, my administrator certification, I was very interested in beyond the four walls of my school, mm -hmm. um, looking at the different systems and the different ways to serve students and families. Um, and so I knew I had to get into a coaching role to really appreciate what was going on in the elementary schools, um, because I had been in middle school science for six years. Um, and so in order to be able to lead folks, you got to be where they are and know what they do and appreciate that. And so I needed to in, in really uh, engage uh, and immerse myself back in elementary, get reacquainted and really uh, familiarize myself with the culture and the environment, especially in our district at that point. Um, and when I did that for a couple of years, I fell in love with it. And it was about the instructional leadership uh, that I realized I loved most, the learning uh, and really identifying ways that we as a staff could improve, continuously improve to best meet the needs of students. And so when I had the opportunity, uh, David, to apply for a principal's job, I thought I was years, years and years down the road to even becoming eligible to be considered um, because of so many good people like you um, that I got to work with indirectly, indirectly. Um, and so when I landed the the job at our elementary school at Emma B. Ward Elementary, um, it was a shock to the system um, because our worlds became very complex. And, and I know your world did shortly after that, too, when you took on your first principal job of things you just don't know that you thought you knew. Um, and and so my perspective broadened yet again on the needs and, and the complexities of our schools. And so when I did that for nearly nine years, um, I knew because uh, my children were elementary age at that time, my husband's a teacher. So there were some long, hard days and I earned my doctorate degree during that time um, as well. And so some long, long days. And and uh, I knew that it was time before my children got into those formative middle school, high school years um, that I needed to uh, focus more on my family and be mm -hmm. available more uh, in the after hours. And so if I don't do 110 percent, I'm not going to do the job I'm doing. I, I need to pass it on for someone else to do. And so um, someone, one of my former colleagues told me I should check out education policy at the department. And I told her at that time she was crazy that I would <laughs> never do that. I would never, I would never fit in. Um, and really what I did when I went the, to the department is I brought back, I brought to the table the reality checks of what people do every day um, yeah. Yeah. to folks who've never been in education. And I don't mean that so much at the department. There's some incredible, passionate people who do hard work that nobody knows. 
Um, but when we had to share that and communicate that, a lot of people don't know what they don't know just because they've been students they haven't taught or led um, in a in a building. And so that paid great dividends for me to learn about the political aspect of it and, and just policy development and impacts on our school and from our, our national and federal perspective. Um, so it was a huge learning experience for me. Um, it was incredible the way I got to represent Kentucky many times. Um, and so it's just really expanding the work I do. But honestly, the journey I've been on is in, was not in the plan, but it has um, just continued to enrich um, my profession and my perspective. Well, I, I know certainly on a personal level and then uh, from a from a distance, I've been able to see the impact that you have had on a Thank on a you. school full of kids and then on a state of, of uh, students and then beyond that. So Thank really you. appreciate that. So uh, so over the, that time, uh, similar uh, to me, and I guess I should say a little bit about my background as well, uh, was an elementary teacher, became an elementary principal. Um, from an elementary principal to a chief academic officer and assistant superintendent in a school district for 10 years, and then on to be this uh, chief executive officer of uh, the Central Kentucky Educational Cooperative uh, in Central Kentucky. And if you're listening uh, to this from outside Kentucky, that is what many, uh, a cooperative in Kentucky is what many states call an educational service uh, agency, mm -hmm. uh, an ESA or, or something along those lines. So have been in that role for a few years now. And, and so along the road, uh, I have gotten to work with lots of uh, teachers and lots of leaders uh, in education, whether that's at the school level uh, or the district level. And I know you've gotten to work with a lot of those folks uh, along the way too. And when I'm able to work with, uh, with those aspiring leaders or current leaders, we always take the time, or I try to take the time, to talk about that phrase that we're going to discuss today, what's best for kids, um, because I believe in education, it's a phrase that we use often, and it certainly describes sort of the calling that we have in our jobs is to really be driven by the best interest of students, uh, of children, in, in every uh, decision that we make. But when I say what's best for kids, what's it make? What What are your first thoughts? Yeah, so it's it's a great question, David. And I think your intro was so true. Um, I think even when we were probably in our uh, education prep program and, and we used to have the cliche, all kids can learn. Of course they can. Right. Just right. like we want what's best for kids. Um, enacting that is is difficult sometimes. But my. um my goal, my uh, my why has always been about, even if it's hard, if it's best for the students, that's what we do because that's who we serve. Um, and, and they're counting on us. Uh, you know, when students enter the building, they never question if we if we are able to do what's best for them, they have the intent or the thought most of the time, unless given a, a reason otherwise is to think that everything that we do, the decisions we make, even how we challenge them, mm -hmm. it's because we're trying to do what's best for them. That's even with expectations and how we set our school culture and the environment that we develop. Does it exhibit um, the, the impression or the feeling or, um, the actions that we are putting our kids first, um, and the decisions that we make. So that's, that's what comes to mind is that are we questioning ourselves when we make these big decisions? And if we don't know what is best, are we seeking from others and experts and evidence-based practices and colleagues 
to figure out what is best when we don't know um, or we're not fully aware of their backgrounds or maybe the challenges that are that we face. So, yeah, I think that's a I think that's a great point. It you know it is uh, it's a mindset. Uh, mm-hmm. as much as it is that's right. a decision that I'm going to make now and then I'm going to make another one later. It's more about how I operate uh, right. and how, and it's a great point also that, that, you know, the kids, uh, they come to school just taking that for, not taking it for granted, but they come to school expecting that. That's right. You know, they have no reason to think that we aren't making every decision based on, you know, their needs. That's right. And, uh, but at the same time, we know in school leadership, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, and this gets to the heart of the topic, uh, sometimes that's a tricky thing. And, and, Very. and I, you know, I'll point out the first reason that I think it's tricky is that, you know, our staff, the adults, you know, they're important too. And, and, absolutely, and we need to care for them and, and mm-hmm. care about their families and their workload. And, you know, teaching is a calling, but it is a tough job. That's right. Uh, certainly from a, uh, from a physical standpoint, from an emotional right. standpoint, from really uh, every standpoint that you can, that you Absolutely. can look at. And, and, you know, most of the time what's best for kids and what's best for everybody else lines up pretty well, mm-hmm. um, but not always. That's right. And uh, so, you know, what, uh, what are your thoughts about kind of uh, threading that needle? between mm-hmm. what's best for kids and then what's just what's best for all of, for everybody else that's involved. It's a great question. And, and, you know, um, my staff were, were my family and, you know, we didn't always agree, um, but we were a family and I, and I don't say that as a kumbaya, but as a support. Um, and so David, in order, in my, my um, experience and my belief is that if we're going to do what's best for kids, we have to discuss what that means. Yeah. And what does that mean? Or what does that mean for the individual? What is that? Um, is that changing up your schedule? Does that mean that you're not going to have a common plan with someone that you've planned with for 10 years? Does that mean you're going to have to try a new concept or a new resource that you don't feel comfortable with? And so what we can't do is give the command of doing what's best for kids without providing support to the staff. And so what I learned the hard way is if you don't, um, you have staff that are really overwhelmed because they're working as hard as they can, doing the best that they can do. Um, I can't tell you I ever had a teacher walk in and say, I'm going to harm kids today. I'm just <laughs> not going to do what's best for them. I, I you know, um, I just never experienced that. In all the schools I've worked in, I've worked in rural, I've worked in um, urban, and I've worked in suburban. And in all of my experiences with all the many different cultures and backgrounds, I never once experienced an educator that says, I'm going to harm someone today. Instead, they're like, I've really been thinking about this last night, how to help you know, this student or address this issue. And so to me, that is where you as a leader have to remove barriers or provide supports to create a a collaborative, supportive culture for your staff to do what's best for kids. You can't have a hostile environment or all these demands of all the things you want them to do and say, and what I also want you to do is sacrifice all your planning time and all these other things to do this because it is best for kids. And I think part of my role as a leader, what I would tell them is I'm not the expert in exactly what that is. You are the expert and I come to you and let's discuss this. But what my job is to do is to is to navigate to so you don't get stuck 
um, with a bump in the road that I remove that. Um, and sometimes David, that is given permission not to change your bulletin board. Yep. Sometimes that's given permission not to hang 26 new graded papers out in the hallway. Sometimes that means you don't change the calendar that day. Um, and that sounds little and, and silly, but it's not because teachers carry, um, carry a huge responsibility on their shoulders to maintain all the things. Yep. Um, and so what I wanted them to do is I needed them to focus on students. And if I was causing the barrier, I had to reflect myself and say, I'm not asking them to use the time to identify what's best for kids because I'm asking them to do these other things. Mm -hmm. It could even be a meeting that really could have been an email. And where I would thrive seeing my people together, doing a fun activity, coming together and just kind of refocusing, resetting really was taking away time from what I had already asked them to do, which was rethink how we can best meet these needs because meeting the needs of students changes every day. Yeah. Uh, it changes by season. Right. And and so because of that, as a leader, I had to be nimble and I had to go, y'all, we're going to cancel this meeting today because you haven't had time to breathe or think about how we can address these issues. So it is it is so easy to say it sounds very stagnant, like it you do it once and it's always good, but it's ever changing. And so and so really, um, you know, and did we still have disagreements and weariness and you're wearing me out, Ellis? <laughs> Absolutely. And we had those long conversations about what to do different, but it was never to the point where it would sacrifice the needs of the child. And that's, that's how we put it. So. Well, and, and, uh, you know, you touched a little bit early in, in your answer about the, uh, you know, the lines of communication, uh, yes. being open. And, and I love that you talked about being reflective because yes. we sometimes as the leader, uh, can be putting up barriers to our teachers being That's able right. to spend all of their time focused uh, on kids. And of course, we're talking mostly about principals. We can do that as central office administrators. Absolutely. Uh, as well. And should. And, should. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I think, I think too, on the lines of communication and the fact that, you know, we've talked about this being a mindset. Yes. I think you want to create the culture in your school Mm -hmm. so that we are all kind of bouncing ideas off of each other. That's right. Uh, so that when a particular decision needs to be made, we're saying to ourselves, help me think through this. That's right. Um, you know, I know what I want to do, but let's think about if we do that, mm -hmm. who does that benefit uh, the most? That's right. And, and, uh, and, you know, a lot of that comes from trust Yep. to say you don't know, right. Or to say, how do we do this? Um, and, and, you know, we're all human. And some days we don't want to think about it anymore. You know, sometimes we're just really tired or we're worn out from that situation. And part of that is coming in and providing a little respite for your colleagues yep. and to say, you know, let's you're struggling with this. I'm struggling with it, too. You know, let's let's talk this out or let's rethink this or let's find someone who's doing it well. And that that was part of my job, too, is not to um brag on, you know, this teacher's really figured out this because that's their environment, right? Like sure. it works in their class environment, may not work in someone else's, but to definitely say, hey, this person's really done so well with this, you know, this issue, whatever it may be, or this new approach, why don't you reach out to them and and talk and, and giving them time to even talk colleague to colleague that I'm not in the middle of that was always beneficial because then that always came back to the student. It always came back to what was best for them without me saying, well, we can't do that because we can't mm -hmm. do that because or, or they couldn't say that it became 
very um, organic for them to talk through because they're two professionals figuring out how to best meet the best meet the needs for those students or student. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's an ongoing process for sure. So when we were talking earlier, you threw out a couple of just off the cuff examples. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a, a teacher, we have to change your schedule. Yeah, um, huge. And, and in changing your schedule, uh, it might be a benefit to you. It might help you, but it also, it's for sure going to be a change. And and, right. we all, and most of us struggle with change. Yep. Um, it might uh, change things so that you can't collaborate with another yep. uh, colleague through your planning. Or if you're doing this at a district level, it may change up things for mm-hmm. uh, your principals or others so that uh, That's right. you know, their time doesn't align as well, or they're, they're out of their comfort zone. So can you, um, you know, let's brainstorm a little bit for, sure. for anyone listening, because I think, uh, most of the time what's best for kids is pretty obvious. Uh, you know, we, we we come to a situation and all we have to ask ourselves is, well, you know, what would be best for the kids in this situation? And then we can mm-hmm. come up with that. But I think other times it's kind of hidden. I agree. Um, and and I think the example of a teacher having to change her schedule is a good example of when it might be hidden. You might just, unless you stop and really think through that one, mm-hmm. uh, it might be hard to see how doing that is good for the kids, even though it's going to inconvenience me as the adult. Right. So can you think of any others off the top of your head that are those situations that we get in sometimes? Yeah. So, I, you know, I think the instructional ones are the obvious ones. Yep. The the district level ones that I think of that rocks everyone's world by five minutes is dismissal. Oh, yeah. Okay, so we talk about bus dismissal, right? <laughs> yeah. And we talk about, I mean, this sounds silly, David, and but it rocks people's world, right? It's like the jello. If you you shake one part of the jello, all the jello <laughs> shaking. And and that could be we dismiss at 305 and we need people to stay till you know, 3.30 for the final dismissal because we have to make sure our kids are safe. Yeah. And so to talk through changing direction and times by two or three minutes in the cafeteria, all those things that change lunch times, how far you have to go because there's only a finite amount of time. Those are things that that sound from the outsider looking in like not a big deal, right? You're like, it, it's, it's 3.05 at three o'clock. Five minutes of change in someone's schedule and not, not even always the adult, but even the the students, is your rock your world experience. It changes your routine. It changes how you do things, how much time you have in between and how um, how your flow goes in your classroom, right? Mm-hmm. And and even how you function at the end of the day to decompress a bit. You know, sometimes when it's your turn to go to the gym to dismiss 200 students in about 15 minutes to car riders that all have different numbers is not good for, for you to decompress. And so, you know, and so those are hard conversations sometimes. And I, and I think- that's why sometimes we have to step back and think about it. And even is even as a school leader is to really think through, okay, then how do we keep what's best for students? And that stays, but how do we navigate a little bit on supervision and nobody yeah. gets out of the supervision, but how do we change up that schedule? Maybe they rotate. Maybe somebody's a better morning person than an afternoon because they have four kids to drop off in the morning. So how do we work on that together? And that's where I really talk about being nimble. Like mm-hmm. you can't you can't just say this is how it is 
and just hope everybody gets over it. Because to your point, David, that really rocks some worlds. And when it rocks the worlds of the adults, it's going to rock the world of the students Mm -hmm. indirectly or directly. And so if we're going to keep our students, our focus, you know, the big thing is really about our why. Why are we changing this? And then what can we do to help each other out with this change? Um, I'm sure you've seen, I I wish I had the graphic with me because I'm a visual girl, but you know, when we see change, um, adults change the slowest, right? We have those go-getters who are like, okay, let's do it. And we have those who are like, "Eh, I'm not good with that. I need to watch for a while, make sure it doesn't crash and burn, you know? And so you have everybody in your staff that are in different parts of that spectrum because they're human. We're all like that. And so really just talking through What is, you know, one of the things we would do is talk through when we say what's best for students is how would you want your child to be treated? How would you want your child to be um, kept safe in the Mm -hmm. afternoon? How would you want your child to be um, sent off out of the classroom at the end of a a busy day? And what do you want to hear about when you get home? Mm -hmm. And we want them to focus on, we want the students to focus on the things they learned that day, the things they did with their friends, the experiences they had. Not that they felt tension and stress because of dismissal, because they don't care if it's three o'clock, three o five, or three ten. They're yeah. just a little more tired, and so really put in perspective of your own family. Um, but again, it's it's a process, you know. When you change up, um, I mean, we changed lunch times and started at ten thirty five to have smaller lunch groups. <laughs> it it was it was a rock your world experience because that caused some teachers to eat lunch at ten thirty, and then they didn't have a break again until two o'clock. Yep. And that sounds like, well, at least they have a break. No, like that's somebody in your face all day long without a breather. So you have to be cognizant of, of their, um, of their endurance because you want your staff to be their very best, whether it's the custodian or the assistant or the counselor or the classroom teacher or the specialist teacher, they've got to know what their role is. And every one of those folks in my building, I said, you're a teacher of something. Yep. And so if you're a teacher of something, what are you teaching them that you don't have patience for them or that you're really glad to see them and you know their name or that you realize that they're having a bad day and every Thursday is a bad day for this student in the cafeteria. So you walk by and you talk to them. And so we made it very personal. Um, David, I think you were gone before we did this, but but when we were making changes, big changes culturally, one of the things that we did to kind of refocus on students is we walked through every name of students, every name in the school from first grade up for us through fifth grade. And they had to identify personally, not publicly, if they knew that child and if they, and they had to know something more about that student than their academics. Oh, could they say they like to play soccer or they have three siblings or they have four Mm -hmm. dogs, right? Like, have we gotten to know the individuals? And, and when there were fifth graders who had been with us, who had, a few who knew, but not enough. Then we started making efforts about getting to know the students individually, personally, as people. So when you make changes that feel uncomfortable and frustrating, you know, especially in March, you get really frustrated. It's been a long winter. Mm -hmm. It goes back to those individuals. And it's not just all the students, but it's John and Sarah and Juan and, you know, Callie. And it's, it's your individuals who all matter, right? And they're counting on us. And so when you really put in perspective of individuals and recognize the struggle of change with adults, you as a leader have to navigate that. And sometimes it's a hard conversation with support. And sometimes it's cheering them on going, thank you for doing this, because look what you did for 
whoever, you know? And so it's really important about personalization, which gets back to your point around culture. So uh, one thing that I'll say, I actually was at the school when we did that. Okay. I and, couldn't remember if you were uh, there or not. Okay. It, good, it good. was great. It was great. <laughs> I, I have used that example so many times with leaders uh, since then. Uh, so I want to make one last connection. Uh, yeah. you, you kind of alluded to this. You said that uh, we we have been exploring ways that are very proactive, uh, yeah. helping each other, supporting each other to have that mindset, thinking mm-hmm. through, um, you know, different decisions collaboratively to determine the best path. Uh, mm-hmm. You did a great job talking about bringing it down to the individual student level and how much easier it is to make student-focused decisions when you know the students and and can get down to each student's individual needs. So all of those are really proactive. As a leader, you do get yourself in situations sometimes. You do. Where what is really best for the children, mm-hmm. you know, whoever that's going to affect, you know, it's, it's just not going well. Like it's, it's not... That change mm-hmm. is not a good thing. And so you mentioned, you know, it's hard and and you have to make those hard decisions. So that's right. Um, I believe that one of the most important qualities that great uh, leaders have just in general mm-hmm. uh, is that they have to have courage. That's right. Um, and and a, a, a mentor or uh, someone that I looked up to, uh, John Roush, who was the president of Center College, uh, I always use this quote and I always want to give him credit for it because Dr. Rouse talked about, uh, as a leader, mm-hmm. uh, the, the ironic thing is you have to use courage, but the ironic thing is the more often you use it exactly when you need to use it, the less often you have to use it. So true. And, uh, so when, when I have worked with, uh, young administrators, I often tell them that, uh, when I watch football games, I, n- I never played football, but when I watch football games, I notice that, uh, sometimes a, a player will get tackled and it just looks like it was so painful mm-hmm. and, and he ends up on the bottom of the pile. Yep. And you think if I was on the bottom of that pile, they would have to drag me off to the side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but when, when all the players finally roll off of his back, he just pops mm-hmm. up and runs over to the huddle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, almost and and I almost think that in their mind they have to convince themselves that they sort of in somehow they have to sort of enjoy, you know, being hit like that and being able to pop up and run back over to the huddle. I don't know how you would keep doing it over and over if you didn't. That's right. So I say to True. I say to principals, uh we have to get that mindset a little bit. That's right. Like um you know, when I get in a really difficult situation, if I'm going to have to make a tough, might have to have a tough conversation or make mm-hmm. a really hard decision where I know somebody on the other end is not going to be happy about it. I have, if it's what's best for children, I have to be willing do it. to just like getting tackled and being at the bottom That's of right. the pile. I've got to be willing That's to right. grit my teeth and make that decision and That's then right. pop back up and run back over to the huddle. That's um, right. But you, you somewhere deep down, you have to be able to get some pride from the fact that Absolutely. I'm I'm doing that. And I know there are other people who probably wouldn't do that. That's right. No, uh, I think that's a it's an excellent point. And you're right. And and it gets back, David, to trust. And part of building trust in your within your staff is demonstrating that you have non-negotiables. Yeah. And those non-negotiables is you it the buck stops with you. And as the leader, wherever you are at whatever level and 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 
my experience, I made it very clear my non-negotiables mm-hmm. um, and I have it in writing. I mean, we went through it. So it was never a question. Um, and one of those is the students come first. And in the situation when I've had folks push back really hard um, or just were resistant, I, depending on the situation, I would often remove that person from the situation because it was, it was not the best um, situation or uh, if they just lacked skills and were frustrated because they didn't know what to do, what was best, I would absolutely equip them with another person who could support, but I would be right there with them. Um, I was very much present in my building, fully aware and knew every kid. Um, and some were, were difficult it was hard to do what was best, um, but I never hesitated on having a conversation, a very direct conversation. Um, it was nobody ever wondered what I thought, but it was always private. It was always respectful. Um, and my first thing is, how can we make this better? How can we? How can we make this work? Mm-hmm. Um, not assuming malicious intent, but identifying when it was not a healthy environment for the student, it was not working because if it's impacting one, it's impacting many. Um, And so to your point, you absolutely have to have courage to have the conversation because to ignore it is to not do what's best for kids. And, um, and unfortunately that happens because it's a lot easier to ignore. Um, But I also think the folks who are courageous to try new things, highly respect and appreciate having a leader who will stand by the change that has to be made or um, the adjustment and it really honors what they're doing mm-hmm. and when they're doing the right thing. Um, and so, you know, you always have um, a couple that, of staff who may be challenging um, and we have hard conversations and, you know, if it is um, a newer placement and it's still not working and it is a detriment to our students or the environment, then you have very hard decisions to make. Um, but as you said before, you know, teaching's not for everybody. It's not for the faint at heart. It is a calling, but it is a service-oriented job that is demanding mm-hmm. uh, and never, never stays in one place. You're constantly learning. You're constantly growing because if you don't, you get left behind. Um, and that's why you can't do it alone. And so although we always built a, a community of folks, of learners and professionals, um, Sometimes when there wasn't a good fit, it wasn't a good fit and you had to address it, whether that was in the immediate or long term um, or providing additional support. Um, You know, we absolutely handled that or I handled that um, to Mm -hmm. really protect um, our culture and our environment of what was expected at our school. And um, because I wasn't willing to let that be jeopardized and I wanted it for my own children. You know, just like whenever they got there, they weren't there when I first got there, as you know, mm-hmm. um, but I wanted that. That's the environment I expected all of my children and, I, and all the kids to have a safe, positive, productive environment with adults who want to be there with them and who are willing um, to really demonstrate uh, whatever it takes attitude, um, you know. Mm-hmm. And so and so to your point, David, it it was a part of the courageous conversations um, and confronting what was inappropriate or confronting what was um, not helpful uh, immediately and in a respectful way, not a degrading way that helped us to set our our culture and our trust and build those relationships. So then we could have honest conversations. Um, And a lot of times it corrected itself even within the teams because we had 
we had champions for change sure. in every team in some sort. Uh, didn't matter what team it was. And so to really empower them um, to be able to to come up with ideas, know that they had a voice in the school. But at the end of the day, the non-negotiable was we serve kids. And that's that's our business. That's what we do. Um, and that's our priority. So really, really well said. It all it all starts with us. It does. Uh, but we do have leaders uh, in classrooms and yep. we have others who yes. can help who can help carry out uh, that mission and, and vision uh, for making those decisions in the right way each time. That's right. Takes all of us. As we as we wrap up, uh, any other things that are on your mind or any advice or tips that you have for leaders on how to make sure they get this right? Yeah, I think no matter what your role is, know your why. Um, in every role I have served in, from classroom all the way through my role right now, my why are students mm -hmm. at any age. Um, and really about um, intentional opportunities for students to grow and thrive and see themselves as worthy um, for a future. So whether that was third graders or middle school students, high school or in college or even adults, um, have your why. Know it, because if you don't know your why, it will be determined for you where you go. Um, and so you don't want to ever give up on your values as an educational leader and those who have impact um, on those who are learning from you, whether it's formally in a classroom or watching you. And so that would be that would be my words uh, of, of wisdom, I guess, after 25 years. Well, <laughs> those, those are well said. And uh, so with that, I want to thank you again. Uh, thank you for, for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for being part of, of our very first podcast. Yes. And uh, with that, that is going to wrap us up for today. Again, I want to thank Dr. Amanda Ellis from the Council for Post-Secondary Education for joining us. And uh, to our listeners, thanks for joining in today. And uh, keep your eyes out for the next podcast coming soon.